Don't assume that the Jewish community sees what you see, as though, how could you be so hard-hearted and stubborn as not to see this? Without the eyes of faith, there's a spiritual blindness. I'm relying on what the rabbis told me this scripture means. I'm relying on what my parents told me it means to be Jewish. So it's until the Lord kind of removes those blinders that we can't assume that everything we see is seen by the mainstream Jewish community. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. And if you're listening or watching, this is season two of A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. This season, we're also on YouTube. So if you're watching us there, please like and subscribe. We're trying to find others who are aligned with us, who care deeply about Israel and the Jewish people. And Ezra, anyone who has a background or comes from a culture has idiosyncrasies that they understand from that background that only they understand. Mm -hmm. So what we're going to talk about today is what Jewish people wish the church understood. And you have a super unique view since you have a Jewish background, but also have a look into the church. Um, so I think you'll give us a good insight on this. Um, but before we get into this, I want to just remind our audience that they can get involved. They can support what we're doing around the world among very remote Jewish communities as we bring them physical care and the gospel. Um, you can do that on our website, ajewandagentildiscuss.org. And in thanks for your support, we'll send you a bag as many times as you'd like of coffee that comes directly from Ethiopia, which is one of the communities that we work in. It's Lost Tribes Coffee. Um, again, the beans are very high quality. More information on our website. And if you stay tuned to the end of this podcast, you can enter for a chance to win that coffee for free. So let's discuss. So as I mentioned, Ezra, you have a Jewish background, but of course you're a believer in Jesus, so you kind of have one foot in each world. Right, and spent some time in the church in my college right. years and then immediately after graduation in different churches actually. I mean, we, you right. hear that on the testimony, but different denominations just sort of spend some time there and have an experience on how does the church relate to and talk about all things Israel or all things Jewish people. Right, right. So coming from both, you know, seeing what a Jewish perspective would be, plus also from what the Christian perspective is without being educated, um, I'm sure there's a lot of things that you wish the church understood, both about Judaism, the Jewish roots, uh, and then even as a Messianic believer. So let's talk about just three things that you can think of that you wish, you know, if the church understood this, this would really help. Um, you know, just understanding Judaism, the Jewish people, the Jewish community. Right, and I think, Carly, where we're, where we're parking this conversation, if you will, is kind of at the crossroads of an informed dialogue, yeah. right? Like the, I heard somebody say once, it's like the Jewish community is watching the first half of a Broadway show and they're walking out in the intermission. And the Christian community is coming in at intermission and watching the second half. Yeah but they don't talk to each other in the lobby. Right. One comes and one goes, and they just look at each other and, uh, where'd you come from? I don't know, where are you going? Yeah. So I think what we're really trying to do here in terms of what, and I'm, I'm gonna speak, uh, before I speak in terms of my own personal testimony and identity as a Jewish believer, I'm trying to kind of represent the larger mainstream Jewish community and say, man, hey, if, if the Christian community understood this about our thinking, this would help us to have an informed dialogue where there's less kind of uh, 
whatever, absolute statements, shut down phraseology used where, where the Jewish community might conclude, okay, you don't get us and therefore there's no conversation to be had. Right. And we'll just keep walking in and you just keep walking out and we just will continue to not talk. Right. So in that light, uh, I thought of three things. Uh, I know you're gonna maybe ask me for more at the end, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, so one, one is this, it's, you know, Paul uses this language about the olive tree, right? We talk a lot about this. It's Romans 11 language, and he's speaking to a Gentile audience who now Gentiles are the majority of believers in the known world when Romans is being written. And Paul, with decades of ministry experience under his belt as a Jewish believer, is speaking to the Roman church who's looking back at Jerusalem and at the Jewish eldership and Jewish believers going, oh, wait a minute, like, what's their deal? Why does it matter that they're Jewish and that they continue to say they're Jewish? And what have we to do with them? And Paul's saying you need to see it like an olive tree, right? Whose root, and he uses this Greek word that really means fatness. The fatness of this olive tree is Israel. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the commandments given through Moses. It's the promises of Scripture given through the prophets, all being fulfilled in the person of Yeshua in Hebrew, or Jesus, we say in English. And that this, this, the, the branches of this tree, the wild branches of which are believers from the Gentiles, from the nations, including, you know, even today, Americans with no Jewish background will be part of these branches that were wild apart from God and now are grafted in, are grafted into a tree whose root is Israel. And so I think the first thing that the Jewish community might say, hey, understand this, is the fact, Christians, that you can see that your roots, and even if you're willing, your fatness is in Jewish things, in the Jewish faith, in Israel, in the Old Testament, doesn't mean that we see that the wild branches grafted into Paul's olive tree are in fact any relation to or expression of us, of Israel, of the Jewish faith. And so it's, you know, the door doesn't swing both ways is the first thing, Carly. The fact that you can tie your Christian faith to its Hebrew roots doesn't mean the Christian, excuse me, the Jewish community is tying anything Christian today and saying, oh yeah, that's clearly an expression of Judaism. That's clearly related to Israel and the Jewish people. That Christian church I know down the street clearly reflects an awareness and appreciation that its fatness comes from the story of the Jewish people and God's covenant faithfulness to Israel. Right. That, that's a disconnect. So to put that in perspective, you're saying that, you know, as a Christian, I can look at Hanukkah or I can look at Passover and understand right. there's Jewish roots, but a Jewish person isn't going to look at Christmas and Easter and any other, you know, Christian traditions and totally understand, oh yes, I know where that's coming from and how that's related. Right. And the fact that one expression can recognize its root doesn't mean that the root can recognize its own expression. Right. Right. Uh, which throughout the centuries in different languages, different cultures, maybe has been changed into something that to the Jewish community, by and large, the church is unrecognizable as a new covenant expression of itself. Yep. And I think that's the key at this cross-section of an informed, intelligent dialogue where both parties are hearing each other. That's a real, a real disconnect. You gave some examples of holidays. You know, and we've talked about this on other podcast episodes, Carly. The idea that Christians can look back and go, ah, oh, yeah, the Last Supper was actually a Passover Seder, and so Easter, Jesus' death on the cross, and then his resurrection is actually pointing back to the need for a sacrifice lamb during the season of Passover. And our audience who's listening, who, who maybe has you know, been around the block a few times on these topics and goes, oh yeah, that's very clear to me. Of course, Easter is a new covenant expression. It's the fulfillment of, of, of Jesus fulfilling Passover. That does not mean that the average Jewish person on the street, you know, of which there are millions in America, over 1% of the population, actually uh, 1 in 40, 
American adults as Jewish, that does not mean that they can look at uh, the Pope's Easter Sunday morning Vatican service from the balcony of this thing with giant crosses and red banners and he's got this, you know, uh, conical hat on. I'm not trying to poke fun. I'm just saying that, that a Jewish person can look at that expression of Easter or for that matter, First Baptist Church of Whereverville down the road that's got the honey-baked ham and the lamb butter and, you know, is saying, he is risen from the dead with a giant cross up in the air and everybody's wearing white and there's flowers and bunnies mm -hmm. and going, Oh, yeah, well, that's clearly a New Testament expression uh, of Passover. Right. No, in, in, in the Jewish mind, this has nothing to do with us. Yeah. This is something else. Jesus came, good rabbi, good teacher, a little bit misinformed, inaugurated this new separate religion called Christianity, and that's unrecognizable, and the best thing that we can do is to keep that a little bit away from us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that's the challenge. Yeah, that's good for Christians to know because it, it, it's sometimes hard to realize, okay, they don't recognize those same things, even though we recognize that. About right. Them. And I think, you know, the, maybe the point there is in, you know, I'm speaking to our Christian audience here, is that in your conversations with Jewish extended family, with Jewish colleagues, with, you know, the person you met on the subway who's interested in hearing about your own faith, your ability to, in a very intelligent, theologically sound way, explain the Hebrew roots of your faith isn't always going to open a door to them understanding why that has anything to do with them and their own experience in terms of a relationship with God or their own need for salvation. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that can, that can be an on-ramp, but it's not necessarily going to get the whole way there. And let me speak to the Jewish audience. You know, some, some people have written into us appreciating the content. Thank you for helping me understand the Christian community a little bit more. My appeal to you is before you write off everything Christian as entirely separate from the Jewish people and there's no lobby even to walk into to have a conversation, be open to the possibility that the way that that first century faith, originally with Jewish men and women who came to faith in the Jewish Messiah Jesus, and then eventually spreading throughout the known world through the proclamation of the good news that there is a Messiah in Israel and a savior of the world to becoming a majority Gentile believing community, be open to the possibility that the way that that's uh, the, the permutations that that expression of faith has gone through throughout the centuries, throughout the languages, throughout the culture, might have not necessarily in, in you know, the fullness of God's desire become contorted a bit into what we see it today. Mm -hmm. And give the Christian community, give the Christian who's trying to have a dialogue with you a little bit of room and understand they're doing some learning and they're doing some reorientation of their own before you sort of write them off and say, that's for the Christians, that's not for us. Yep, yep. So what about specifically related to Jesus, who's, of course, kind of the central yeah. uh, piece of Christianity? What is it that you wish the church understood? Yeah, I think uh, same, same vein here, Carly, but through a Christian lens, I think more and more, there's, there's a lot of teaching right now. It, it's, it's really popular in the sermon series I'm hearing, you know, on, on YouTube or, you know, in, in churches and congregations around the country to hear people start to draw on the Old Testament, right? Here's what Jesus is saying, but look at the Jewish context. And that's awesome. I'm happy that's happening. In terms of edifying the hearer, mm -hmm. edifying the reader, edifying the listener, uh, that's really good. But again, uh, from a Christian perspective, a Christian's ability through, if you will, through the eyes of faith in Jesus, right? Even, I'll, I'll be more bold, through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right, who even the Old Testament says is a comforter and a counselor who gives us wisdom and revelation and understanding and knowledge and discernment, to, to look at those scriptures and see backwards 
that, that the claims of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, even the death and resurrection of Jesus is clearly a fulfillment of what Moses said and what the prophets saw and foretold, again, that door doesn't swing both ways because the Christian community, you and I are both believers in Jesus. Me from a Jewish background, you from a Gentile background, but you and I both, Carly, are looking through the eyes of faith backwards to go, ah, oh, it's so clear mm -hmm. how Jesus fulfilled the Torah, the law given to Israel, and how he fulfilled the prophets of Israel. Not just for Israel, but for the sake of all nations on earth. But without those eyes of faith, from a Jewish perspective, I would say to the Christian audience, what I think the Jewish community wishes wishes the Christian community understood is don't assume that I'm seeing what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, and we can say, Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? You know, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and he was pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. It's so clear, right, through and the eyes I of faith. I think you've even said before that some rabbis either ignore that verse right. or don't even have it in, right. in their version of the Bible. Yeah, some synagogue uh, scripture portions, and remember, there is no New Testament in synagogues and right. mainline synagogues, so the portion of the Torah and the Old Testament that's there often will exclude Isaiah 53. Right. It goes from 52 to 54 because it's a problematic passage. But let's say that it's in there. Let's say that there's people who venerate the Word of God, you know, the Torah and the prophets, uh, the Old Testament, as it's called in the Christian community, and leave Isaiah 53. Well, Rabbi, how do you explain this? Well, the, the suffering servant is Israel. Because look at how much we've suffered throughout mm -hmm. the ages. And every time you see suffering servant or led as a lamb to the slaughter and bruised and afflicted, it's talking about the people of Israel and our afflictions. I don't want to get into, you know, get into all of that, but I, my point here is to say, without those eyes of faith to see that the claims of Jesus to be, in fact, the Son of God and the, the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the promised uh, Passover lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, you know, when we could go on with, mm -hmm. his, with his names. Uh, but without the eyes of faith to see that, it's easy to explain away the things that the Christian community or the Jewish believing community can look back and see so clearly. Mm -hmm. And even not to explain away in, in kind of, I don't mean to be critical or dismissive there, to have really strong theological arguments for what those passages and what those terms mean that have nothing to do with Jesus. So I think what's important here is to remember what Paul says. He's speaking to a Gentile audience and he says, to this day, when Moses is read, when the Torah is read, you know, he's speaking to Gentiles in the known world at that time, and he's saying in the synagogues where the testimony of Jesus hasn't reached yet, where the testimony of the Messiahship of Yeshua doesn't exist, when the scroll of Moses is read, which happens, by the way, even to today in, in Jewish communities around the world, when that portion of scripture is read, it says a veil remains over their eyes. They're blind to the scriptural realities they're seeing. And so for the Christian community, I guess I'm speaking a little bit more as a Jewish believer than just than, than as, a, as a member of the mainstream Jewish community here, but don't assume that the Jewish community sees what you see, as though how could you be so hard-hearted and stubborn as not to see this? Without the eyes of faith, there's a spiritual blindness. And without the eyes of faith, even take the spiritual blindness away, if I'm, you know, Jewish person, you know, X on the street, I'm relying on what the rabbis told me this scripture means. I'm relying on what my parents told me it means to be Jewish. And, and uh, that, that's what I have to go on. Mm -hmm. So it's until the Lord kind of removes those blinders that we can't assume that everything we see is seen by the mainstream Jewish community. And that's where, as you know, many of you have a burden to see Jewish people understand that we do have a Messiah. We're not waiting for a Messiah and his name is Jesus. You're not going to convince someone into faith 
You can share with them. You can have a relationship with love. You can open the scriptures. You can share your own testimony. You can share your own journey with the Lord. But ultimately, what's got to happen is that the Lord himself has to remove those blinders and, and a Jewish person, or anybody for that matter, Carly, has to see through the eyes of faith. Yeah. And for those who are listening, if you're interested in learning more about that, the, the top you know, Jewish objections to Jesus. We did a podcast episode on that last season where we go through some of these specific things where, why a Jewish person would object to Jesus um, just to get a better understanding of that. Like Ezra said, we're not going to get into that right now, but if you want to learn more about that specifically. Um, so Ezra, I think another thing about, you know, it would be helpful if the church understood is, uh, you know, the fact that Jews, and you tell me if you think this is true, is that they don't feel like they're missing anything. They're not, you know, looking to convert to some other religion. Right. They're, not, they're not waiting for or looking for something like there's this gap. Right. And that language, again, I'm not, I'm not vilifying the Christian community. I understand that the term, again, we could do a whole show, you know, what, terminology doesn't mean the same thing in one culture as another, yeah. right? And the Jewish community is really a subculture. And, if you will, the American evangelical community or Catholic community, or Methodist, you know, whatever, Anglican community, all of these are subcultures. And we all use terms that don't necessarily mean the same thing to others as they mean to us. Mm -hmm. And one of those kind of buzzwords uh, in the Christian community, and even more so in the Jewish community, is the word convert. Mm -hmm. You know, and when you hear somebody say, ah, I met this Jewish guy, you know, his name was Shlomo, and I shared the gospel with him, and he converted. Yeah. Well, to a Jewish person, and this is kind of the third thing I, I think the Jewish community would would want the Christian community to know that a Jewish person isn't interested in converting to anything. What am I converting? You know, I'm converting salt to sugar. I'm converting right. oil to water. Like, right. I'm converting kilograms to pounds. It doesn't, I'm not changing who I am. And so, as much as the Christian community means that term, uh, it's well-intentioned, right? It's innocent. Mm -hmm. The idea there is, I was something, and now I'm something different. Now, you know, pause for a minute. In terms of being a slave to sin, to pull on, you know, New Testament terminology, even Old Testament for that matter, falling short of the glory of God through my own sin, through my own fallen nature, okay, and needing a Savior and then coming to that moment where I recognize the salvation available to me through Jesus and I receive him and in that moment, in essence, my nature is changed. I go... I go, I'll, I'll use the word, I'll use the buzzword. I'm converted from death to life. Yeah. I'm converted from an identity of being separated from God because of my sin to being a son and daughter of God adopted into his family through Jesus, through salvation, right? There's, there's a change there, but it's not a change of ethnic identity. It's not a change necessarily of culture. It's not a change of upbringing. And it's not a change to saying, I was Jewish, but now I'm a Christian. Right. And that's the challenge. I think it's, it's in our dialogue with the Jewish community, in the Christian community's dialogue. In, if you're a Christian listener uh, you know, from a Gentile background, in your dialogue with a Jewish extended family member, Jewish colleague, the word convert only emphasizes this idea that to believe in Jesus is to leave a Jewish identity and to become something else. And what we see to me, I, I hope our audience is willing to oh, crack the scriptures again this year and look at them again. Nobody's leaving their Jewish identity. This is the story of broken Jewish men and women who had a need. Maybe it was a physical need and they got healed. Maybe it was an emotional need. They dealt with rejection. Maybe it was Peter and he dealt with, you know, anger and, and whatever else, you know, or zealousness. And their need for somebody, namely a savior, to make them whole. 
Mm -hmm. And so their conversion, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus wasn't from Jewish man to Christian. It was from Jewish man who understood that righteousness with God could be attained through works and that he wanted nothing to do with Jesus and would persecute the followers of Jesus to, oh, now I see, now it's been revealed to me that I do have a Messiah and he's come and he's died and he's rose again and he has forgiven me and his name is Jesus and my conversion now is into that family of faith by grace, not through works. Right. That's the key. That's the conversion that we're talking about. So I would just say to our, our Christian community, think about the terminology you're using. Things that were very fluent in the faith world, in the, in the Jesus-believing world, Messianic, Jewish, and even evangelical or, or Catholic for that matter, don't mean the same thing to Jewish ears. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, a, I'll say it pretty bluntly, it's a threat to a Jewish person to be invited to leave their Jewish identity and become something else. Right. But if we look at the scriptures, that was never what Jesus was holding out. Mm -hmm. That was never what Paul was offering in the synagogues where he went to preach. Mm -hmm. His offer was, we have a Messiah and I'm inviting you to come from death to life. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That's something I didn't understand at first was that a Jewish person, you know, they, they keep their heritage, they keep their culture and just sure. accept Jesus as their Messiah. Right. Um, you know, so just kind of summarize before I, I ask you a last question if, yeah. is that there's three things you wish, uh, you know, the church understood. One is that the understanding of traditions and roots don't go both ways. Christians can understand the Jewish roots, but Jewish people don't look at Christianity as an expression of As a their, recognizable expression, right, yes. Right. The second is messianic prophecies. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, as a Christian, we clearly see Jesus fulfills all these prophecies. That's very clear. But to Jewish people, not as clear. You know, they're not, they're not reading through Isaiah 53. We even mentioned some rabbis don't even yeah. look at it. It's, it's a, a misunderstood and, and they see Israel as the suffering right. servant. And I want to add, I know you're summarizing, but let me just say one thing I didn't say before and it's important. Even if, as a Jewish person, I'm reading Isaiah 53 and I go, and I've seen YouTubes about this, you know, people walking around Jerusalem having Israelis read Isaiah 53 in the Hebrew and say, who does this sound like? Yeah. And they say, it sounds like Jesus. Yeah. Even if I can get there, yeah. even if the veil of, you know, uh, unbelief, you know, is, is sort of the blinders come off for a minute and I go, whoa, it looks like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus. It seems like the Messiah. Yeah. Think of the cost culturally, even for the American Jewish community, let alone the Israeli community, the cost with your family, the cost culturally, mm -hmm. the cost in some cases of your job, if you're working in an environment with a lot of Jewish colleagues, of saying, I think it's Jesus. Yeah. The cost of that, in a way by design, because really because of the large, you know, the rejection in large part uh, of Jesus as the Messiah by, by the mainstream Jewish community, the cost of saying yes to Jesus is so high that even if those blinders are removed, right. there's still a mountain in the way. Right. So right. that's something for the Christian like community to appreciate. Like being excommunicated, basically. Sure. And so the third point is, um, you know, Jewish people are not looking to convert, uh, which right. is something different than when we think about, and, you know, in Christianity, you convert to Christianity. But, uh, you know, when a Jew comes to believe in Jesus, it's, it, it's an acceptance of Jesus as the Messiah, not a conversion from Judaism to Christianity. Exactly. Um, so the last thing I want to ask you, you know, we talked mainly about three points here that uh, we wish the church understood about Jewish people, but you as a Messianic believer, like you said, you've been in the Christian church world and also the Messianic world. What do you wish the church would really understand from a Jewish believing perspective? Yeah, it's a good question. And one thing 
comes to mind? I mean, there's a number of things, but you know, in, in the interest of time and our audiences, you know, our listeners' ears, let me just share one. Um, you know, Carly, I, as a Jewish believer, I can't tell you how many times Jesus-loving, God-fearing, well-meaning Christians would say to me when I started to talk about being a Jew who believes in Jesus, being a Jewish believer, in some cases I use the term Messianic Jew, mm -hmm. which means a Jew who believes in Jesus and continues a Jewish worship style and lifestyle uh, as a believer, how many times people would quote to me this one half of one verse in the New Testament and they'd say, well, you know, <laughs> there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And their point was, why are you talking about this? You're part of the church now. Right. Don't camp on your heritage. Let's go together toward the future. Mm -hmm. And so I think as I read the scriptures and as the years go on, I see jumping off the page more and more and more this scriptural reality from cover to cover, as our friend Troy Wallace says, that the, the story of God stays the same from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. And throughout that story, there is a maintained, distinct identity, if you will, an irrevocable calling mm -hmm. on Israel. And by Israel, I mean the whole house of Israel, Jewish people worldwide, wherever we are. And whether we believe in Jesus or not as the Messiah, whether we even believe in God or not, that, th those gifts and that calling, that destiny are irrevocable. And so what I wish uh, uh, my fellow uh, believers in Jesus who are from a Gentile background, which is the vast majority of the worldwide uh, body, of, body of Christ, if you will, church, uh, understood is this distinct role that Paul talks about, that the prophets foretold, that Moses talked about, of Jewish believers. Does that make us better? Does that make us more important? Does that make us, we should be put on a platform? Absolutely not. The role of Israel is actually to serve everybody else to bring blessing to all the families of the earth. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's true even within the faith community of believers in Jesus. Our role as Jewish believers is through our testimony and our lifestyle and our service to those around us to be a catalyst to the fullness of the Gentiles and to the salvation of all Israel. But we can't do it all alone. But this, this idea of a distinct identity, I think, you know, what we saw in the, in the Pew survey, and we talked about this earlier this season, Carly, in another episode, is that there's, uh, what was it, about 1.5 million people with a Jewish parent in American churches. And those people, according to the scriptures, and I was one of those people for a while, mm -hmm. uh, have an irrevocable calling in God to be part of the whole house of Israel, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, who is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it's not helpful for those in the church who are, who are trying to understand their Jewish heritage, their Jewish background, what that means for them today, how does that affect their own kingdom calling, how does that affect uh, how they raise their kids, how they, how they carry out their marriage, whether they're married to another Jewish person or not. It's not helpful for Christians to use the language, hey, that was then, this is now, you should just get over that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think we use that in other contexts necessarily of people from unique cultural backgrounds or ethnicities who come into the family of faith, so why would we use it in relation to Jewish believers? Right. So that's one thing. Right. And uh, I would say to our audience who's going, uh, this sounds a little self-serving, Ezra, you know, what, what are you saying? Check the scriptures. Check Romans. Read what Paul has to say about the Jewish community, those in the household of faith and those not yet in the household of faith. See what the prophets have to say. See what God said through Moses about the unique identity of Israel. And what you're going to find is that it's a forever calling, not because of our faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. And I think we had an episode last season about who's more important, Jews or Gentiles, right. where we go into this uh, right. in more detail. So if you want to check that out, right. um, check in the first season of A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. 
Um, we hope that these three points were helpful to you as you navigate, you know, being a Christian in today's church world and either talking to a Jewish friend or even um, Jewish believers around you just to understand where someone who is Jewish and what their background is, is coming from. Um, so thanks for listening today. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, uh, if you want a chance to win our Lost Tribes coffee for free, you can enter our monthly contest by texting JG to 474747. There's also more information on our website, ajewandagentildiscuss.org. If you want to hear more episodes from the season or last season, um, check out this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love if you leave us a review, share this podcast with someone you know, uh, you can follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. And as we mentioned for this season, follow us on YouTube. Uh, like and subscribe to the video. Share with other people you know so that we can um, grow this community of people who care deeply about Israel and the Jewish people. You can also write to us at our website if you have any questions or any um, comments or things you want us to uh, discuss in future episodes. So thanks again for listening and join us next week for another episode. This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.